0: And while we feel guilt and we feel shame, we feel remorse, and we are humbled by the weight of our sin, we are also awestruck by the enormity of your grace, by the depth of your forgiveness, and by the expanse of your love. Thank you for meeting us in this place, for hearing our hearts. And for renewing our spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a series right now called Danger or called Conversations with Jesus. And today I want to talk to you about kind of a a thing, an idea of dangerous conversations with Jesus. What I mean by that is that we're gonna see in this particular story that the conversation and the events that Jesus has when he interacts with someone, well, they have consequences for the individuals and for others that are involved. And I understand that this is true, that sometimes when a person comes to faith, when we begin to interact with Jesus, it can really cause an unsettling effect in our homes and our other relationships. In the early days of my ministry, I came across a woman that came from a household that no one in that house was a person of faith. And they were pretty proud of that. No one went to church. uh, No one really cared much for God or for Christians. In fact, they really looked down on them. But through an odd turn of events, this woman came to church, and then soon she came to faith. And when that occurred, and she was filled with the love of Christ, the hope of eternity with him, her life was forever changed. She began to do all kinds of incredible things. She became an advocate for uh, children that were victims of abuse, as she herself had once been. She, She began to do great things, but in her home, where everyone else still was an unbeliever, it caused incredible dissatisfaction and frustration. And all kinds of derision followed that poor woman the rest of her days. But she had a peace and a joy because she had come to Jesus, and in her life everything had changed. Conversations with Jesus can lead to unexpected consequences for us or for the person who's come to Jesus, but also for others. And sometimes the reactions of others aren't what we'd hoped they'd be. (laughs) That's what happens in today's story. This is a story from John chapter 9. It's a conversation that Jesus has, uh, several conversations actually, some with his disciples and some with the man who was born blind. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along on your phone or on the screen, we'll pick up in verse 1 of chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now I want you to catch that first phrase, Jesus saw a man, that's important. Jesus sees people that other people might overlook. He takes notice of them. He sees them in their pain. He sees them in their infirmity. He sees this blind beggar by the road, and he takes notice of him. I think that there's a natural tendency we have because we see so many people now with panhandling signs and things, we we almost just look away and go on our way sometimes. Jesus stops and he sees. He notices the begging man who was blind what others might overlook or look away from, Jesus looks at and he looks into. And it's Jesus who's looking at this man, and when the disciples see him looking, the disciples in verse 2 say, well, rabbi or teacher, tell us, who sinned? Did this man sin or his parents that he was born blind? The disciples who are supposed to ask questions of their teacher have a lot of questions, and these are big questions. Their questions are are, are things like this in their mind, right? They're asking, like, what is the role of sin and sickness? Is all sickness a result of sin? Does our spiritual condition affect our physical condition? Could the sins of the parents have caused their child to be born blind? Could the child somehow have sinned? while still in the womb, and been born blind as a result of that sin? Is that even possible? These are the kinds of questions that they had for Jesus. That's what they're asking him. And we have questions too. Uh, For us, the big questions usually center around this. Why are you letting this happen, God? (laughs) What's the point of this? Why? I don't understand. That was in the heart of their questions as well. But Jesus' response is fascinating. Because he kind of tells them that all the things you're thinking are wrong. (laughs) It wasn't for any of those reasons that you think that this person was born blind. Now there have been several appointments that Jesus has had with people across the Gospel of John. And we've already looked at several of those. The woman at the well was a divine appointment Jesus went there on purpose. Last week, we looked at the story of Lazarus, and we know that 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 was also another moment that had a very important purpose, and so too for this man. Even though he has no clue that his blindness has a deeper and more important and more significant meaning, all he has ever known is blindness, Jesus knows God has something very powerful he wants to do at this time through this man. And so Jesus tells them, he says, Listen, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's not what caused this. But this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Let me say this we have questions, Jesus always has the answer. Let me answer that. Let's know that. We all have questions. And Jesus always knows the answer. Now, the advantage the disciples had is they had physical Jesus right beside them talking to them. Quite a thing. We sometimes wish we had that same exact thing. We have spiritual Jesus and we have the recordings of his word. Well, as we look at this story, Jesus says there's a reason this all happened and God's going to use this man to fulfill an important prophecy today. Of all the things... That you've said, this man's blindness is to fulfill prophecy. In Psalms 146, verse 7 and 8, the psalmist had written this. He will uphold the cause of the oppressed. He will give food to the hungry. He will set the prisoners free. He will give sight to the blind. He will lift up those who are bowed down. For the Lord loves the righteous. Jesus had been prophesied as one the Messiah would be, one who would give sight to the blind. And on this day, that's going to happen. There was a purpose for this man's blindness. Fanny Crosby is a beloved Christian songwriter. Many of you know her story. Many of you don't. She wrote over 8,000 songs, hymns and, and spiritual songs that she wrote. You like some of her songs. You've sung them. The Old Rugged Cross. Fanny Crosby, Blessed Assurance, Redeemed, and a number of others that you've sung that she wrote. She was once asked about her blindness, born blind and lived blind her whole life. Fanny Crosby said that it was a divine dispensation, a gift, that she had been born blind. Because it was in her blindness she said that she believed that God had blessed her providentially to be able to do all that she did. Incredible. Blindness as a gift and not a curse. That's how she saw it. And I think we would have to agree she was a blessing, was she not? And all that she was able to do. Jesus says there's a blessing. This has a purpose. God's going to do something through this person. And so he lifts up this, this man in a powerful way on this day. Now before he gives the healing... Jesus repeats a a phrase we heard last week, and I want to share it with you again. Remember last week, that phrase, that odd phrase, when they said they're going to go back towards Jerusalem to die with him, they were afraid, and Jesus said something about, hey, listen, there's so many hours in the day, and you do the work of the day, the night is coming. Well, listen to how Jesus responds in this case, very similar. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. That's almost exactly what he said last week. While I am in the world, however, and this is new, I am the light of the world. And as long as I am here, there is no darkness that can overcome the light. So after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Up into this moment, we've yet to hear from the blind man, <laughs> and we still haven't heard anything. We're going to hear a lot from him, and, and the conversation so far that Jesus has is a lot about the blind man. It's not a conversation yet with the blind man. Uh, that's important. So the blind man has heard their conversation. How weird would it be to hear someone talking about, or just think about this for a moment, right? Uh, let's say we'll just say something really—not uh, to be gross, but let's just imagine you all had—you were all teenagers. You have acne, and you have the world's largest zit right on your forehead. I know that's gross to think about. You had to go through it once. You, know where you live it. it's terrible. But just imagine that you're sitting in class, and all of a sudden, everyone comes in. The teacher comes in and A student says, "Teacher, why does Marty have that zit on his forehead? Is it because he sinned, or because his parents sinned?" And there's this big discussion about that right in front of you. Wouldn't that be awkward? You're like, oh, why are you talking about this? Well, that's kind of what happens in this story. Like all this stuff gets said about this poor man right in front of him. He hears the whole story. And I'm sure he was kind of like, yeah, I'm curious. Why am I blind? What's the point here? Tell us all about it. All I can say is that even listening in on conversations with Jesus has power. All right? Even listening in has power. And I say that because Jesus tells this man, go and wash. And having just listened to the conversation, he is motivated to do what Jesus asked him to do. They've never spoken. There's no record that Jesus ever spoke directly to the man. All that we can imagine is the man had asked for alms. He was a beggar because he was blind. Jesus got there, they talked about the blind man, he hears Jesus spit, which is, I mean, I'm not trying to be gross, it's just what he did, and and then he hears him making some kind of, and he's like, what in the world's going on? And the next thing he knows, he feels mud getting pressed into his eyes. (laughs) That's actually kind of gross, if you think about it. You would probably get really mad at me if I did that to you today. But having heard everything that happened, this man's like, wow, okay, and most incredibly, after hearing Jesus just for a few minutes, he obeys him. He obeys him. This was for God's purpose, he said. Imagine what it was like for the man to hear that. His whole life, he'd probably wondered what his purpose was, he'd probably wondered what his life was about. And he hears Jesus say, God's got a plan for this man's life. That's pretty big. God had a plan for my friend's life, even though she didn't know it, her family couldn't accept it. God has a plan for your life. God's got a plan. That's all that he had heard Jesus say, and then Jesus said, go and wash, and so the man does what Jesus says. Well, after he had done this, the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. There's an important concept that I need you to grasp here. Sometimes obedience comes before a blessing. There are times that God blesses even the disobedient. He makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. But there are some blessings that we only receive through obedience. This man was obedient. He did what he was asked to do, and he received the blessing because of it. Do you think he would have received his sight had he been disobedient? I don't. Had he chosen not to listen to Jesus, he would have just had dry mud to wipe out of his eye when it crusted over. It wouldn't have mattered. No, he was blessed because he obeyed. And we are too. When Jesus asks us to do something like this man who barely knew Jesus, we should obey. He went, he washed, and he came home seeing. That would be a great place to stop the sermon right there. Just listen to Jesus and go do what he says. But just like happened to my friend, the woman whose family really struggled after she became a Christian, the same thing happens to this man. He throws the whole community into a tizzy. It's like the family systems theory of Dr. Bowen that people think about, you know, if you change an alcoholic and make him sober, oftentimes the marriage breaks up because people, they were used to you as a drunk, they're not used to you as a sober person. Well, the same thing kind of is happening in this whole community. It was fine when this guy was on the side of the road begging for alms. They didn't really care. That was just a part of it. They just ignored him. But now he can see. Incredibly, once he can see, they care about what he has to say. That's an interesting piece of this story. And it's going to cause a lot of turmoil. Listen to what happens in the story. Now, his neighbors, verse 8, and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claim that he was. But others said, No, he only looks like the man. This is important because it just speaks to that reality of not really taking time to notice people. So he would begged his whole life there. He'd been in that same community, probably in that same space for much of his life. But nobody had paid enough attention to him to be able to tell you what he really looked like with certainty. That says a lot about the community, doesn't it? But i got to be honest, it says a lot about me too. When I read that, I thought, boy, there are a lot of people that I've probably not taken enough time to notice that I wouldn't be able to say, hey, I couldn't tell you what clothes he was wearing, the color of their hair, the color of their eyes, wouldn't know, because I didn't take enough time to care, to notice. Maybe that's happened to you too. That is the indictment against this community. What's sad in this particular community is that the the more religious the people are in the story, the religious leaders, they have even less knowledge of this man, but they all live in the same community. So that the people who should most know, right? Shouldn't those leaders, those rabbis, Pharisees, priests, shouldn't they know the people? They should. They should know their community. But they have noticed him the least. They don't even act like they have a clue who the person is. Jesus had taken time to notice, but a lot of people had not. So they said, it only looks like that guy. But... The man himself insisted, "I am the man." Well, how then were your eyes opened? They ask, and he replied, "The man they call Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and to wash. So I went, and I washed, and I could see." I obeyed, and I was blessed. But where is this man, they ask him. Well, I don't know, he said, and how would he? He was blind when Jesus was there, and he was sent to the pool. He couldn't see which direction Jesus went. He couldn't know. He was a blind man. So when he says, I don't know, he's being very honest. I don't have a clue where he went. I couldn't see him at the time. I just know they called him rabbi. They called him Jesus. And he told me to do something and I did it. Well, of course, not knowing what to do, they bring the man to the Pharisees. They bring him the man who had been born blind. Now, all of this happened on a Sabbath day. The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, asked the man, how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, he's telling the story yet again, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about it? What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, he is a prophet. Remember, he had heard Jesus already say that this had a purpose. It was to fulfill something that God had. And indeed, he would heard Jesus say that, and what happened? It happened exactly the way Jesus said it would happen. I want to reiterate this again from last week. No word from the Lord will ever fail. So the man is firmly convinced Jesus is a prophet, but they still did not believe that he had been blind from birth and that he had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? Do you hear the venom in that? There's just a part of these leaders that they just can't seem to help it. Anytime that something doesn't fit the narrative that they want to share, they put a twist on it, a spin on it. And they put the the righteous person, this man's done nothing wrong, They, they put his parents on the defense. What are they implying when they say, you say? They're implying that they've been lying about his blindness his entire life so that he could make extra money as a beggar. It's a terrible thing to imply. You've deceived us all. They're casting dispersions not just on the man, but his whole family now. You say he was born blind. How is it that he can now see? Now, I love the next three little things in this conversation. Not a conversation with Jesus, but we get to hear, over here a conversation. It's all about what everyone thinks they know. His parents say, well, we know he is our son, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see and who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. Now John fills in the blank here for us and says his parents said this because they were afraid of the leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. <laughs> they try. This is a nice way of saying, you vicious liar, why don't you finally tell us what we want to hear? Why are you lying to us? They, They make it sound so pretty. Well, give glory to God, but that's really not what they mean at all, right? They really mean, we know you're lying to us, so before God, you better tell us the truth. That's the implied part of their words. He's already told them once, and now they say, tell us the truth. Tell us what's really going on here. Well... They're about to get an answer they didn't expect. They tell them, give glory to God, tell us the truth, for we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. <laughs> I told you, be listening to what they think they know, right? This is their presupposition. It's what they think they know about Jesus. I tell you, I love this blind man, formerly born blind man. I love how he thinks... And I like the snark that's in this little comment that he makes here. He's not in a position to have authority over them. He has no no status in this community. He's been the blind man. He has no power, probably didn't get to go to school. A lot of things probably didn't happen for him. So he's considered to be of a very low social caste. And he's standing there, the people who are of the highest social caste, the leaders of the community. But there he is in their presence, and they're telling him all the things that they know to be true, how smart they are. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love that. (laughs) This is the thing they can't, what are they going to say to that? (laughs) What are they going to say about that to him? You know, like, oh, good answer, right? Good answer. So then they ask him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And now he's getting a little annoyed with them. And he says, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Oh, man. I like that part. There's two things that happened there. Why did he add the word too at the end? In his heart, he already was one. In his heart, he was already a follower. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He just knew he would follow the person who gave him his sight. He believed he was a prophet, and in his mind, I think probably the fact that these people all hated Jesus the way they probably had hated him a lot of the time, that made him identify with Jesus even more. Well, of course, you know what happens next. Then they hurled insults at this guy who could finally see, so for the first time, he could see who it was who was hurling insults at him. (laughs) They said, you're this man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the blind, formerly blind man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. Oh, and how the blind man sees, huh? How he sees. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. What are they they going back to? This is that same ugly question the disciples had asked. Why is this person blind? Was it because of sin? And this betrays something about what the Pharisees believed. They believed that if anything bad happened to you, it was because of sin. That's just not always true. It can be true. We know children that have alcoholic parents that continue in drunkenness, sometimes have children with horrible problems. It can be a result of sin. But it's not universally true. It wasn't true for this man. Jesus had said that. Sin had nothing to do with this person's blindness. But the Pharisees were unable to have their minds open enough to see anything but the tradition that they'd held on to. And so they fall back on this. Well, you're unrighteous. You're a sinner. And that's all they can say about him. Incidentally, that was the same thing they were saying about Jesus. Jesus. So they said, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I told you there hasn't yet been a conversation between Jesus and the man. That's about to change at the end. We now get our conversation with Jesus directly. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. And Jesus went and found him. And he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. In other words, he recognizes this is Jesus by his voice. And if Jesus tells him to believe something, he's going to believe it. And Jesus said to him, well, you have seen him. Remember last week we said the Son of Man is a phrase that is indicative of the Messiah, the promised one. You have now seen him. For real. (laughs) For real. One of the very first things, not the first, but one of the first things that you get to see is Jesus. He's the one who is speaking with you. And listen to this beautiful confession he makes. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. We don't get any more description of what that was like. I don't know what it was like. I rather like to picture, because I'm a big guy, I like to picture the blind man as this big guy who sat on the side of the road, because he couldn't exercise much, because he couldn't run and do things, so he, he was a big guy, and I just picture his worship being like the kind that picks you up off the ground and holds you up in the air, like, I think that's, that's the kind of worship, right, like, woo he's holding him up, right, spinning around. I don't know what happened, it just says he worshiped him, but I imagine it was a pretty lively kind of worship. He was excited, because his whole life's trajectory was changed. And friends, I want you to know that your whole life's trajectory can be changed when you say yes to Jesus like he did. When you make the same confession. And the transformation that he does in our life is no less miraculous than a blind person getting sight. Jesus is able to change us and transform us in incredible ways. And that's what he did for this man. Well... I could go into the rest of the story, a condemnation for the Pharisees, but that in itself is secondary to the whole of the story. So we've got this conversation with Jesus. And I said this to you two weeks in a row, and I'll say it for the third. When you are brave enough to enter into a conversation with Jesus, you will be changed. Sometimes you will leave sad, like the man who had great riches, who had a conversation with Jesus and when Jesus said give it all away he left sad because he had great riches it said sometimes a conversation with Jesus will leave us puzzled and we'll wonder about that conversation like Cleopas and his friend did as they were walking back and they get to the disciples could it have been Jesus that was with us we think it was and sometimes it will leave you worshipping like it did this man today I want us to have real, meaningful conversations with Jesus. Because out of those conversations, lives are changed. And not just yours. The lives of others will be changed as well. If you're a Christian today, then I just encourage you, keep talking with Jesus Listen to his word through his written word, the scripture. Uh, listen to the word that comes through the mouths of those who are around you as believers by the Holy Spirit. Hear his voice. Speak with them often. Keep nothing hidden between you. Share and, and receive what Jesus has for you. And if you haven't yet made him your Lord and Savior, you need to have a conversation today conversation where you make the good confession, the same confession that the woman at the well-made, the same confession that we heard last week from Mary and Martha, the same confession that we heard today from the blind man, I believe Jesus is the Christ, and I accept him as my Lord and as my Savior. If you've not made that decision, will you make it today as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?